Welcome everyone to the Roaring Lion Podcast. I am your host, Lion Paul Fugit, and today for the first time ever we have a return guest to the Roaring Lion Podcast, but with a different subject, and that will be Leo Lion Ojasintis from New Jersey, but now residing in Washington, D.C. and attending Georgetown University. Ojas, welcome back to the Roaring Lion Podcast. Well, thank you so much, and it's great to be back, uh, DJ Paul. Well, thank you. Uh, uh, it uh, it's been uh, great to hear uh, what you've been doing so far with the uh, unsung heroes part, and that's what we're interviewing you on: is your unsung heroes uh, story about lions, the story of our pride. Uh, oh, just what gave you the uh, motivation to uh, do this video series? Well, for me, it kind of comes back to the fact that I've been affiliated with Lions Clubs International since 2010. I was seven when my parents first got involved and uh, they chartered their Lions Club. So for me, this has been a lifelong thing. 11 years, I've been proud to be uh, affiliated, associated, or be a member of Lions Clubs International. And what, what I've really found to be quite frustrating is that not a lot of us Lions or Leos understand the, the full picture of the legacy that we carry on. A lot of us come from very historic clubs, very historic districts, very historic regions, and we don't understand the contributions of those that have come before us. And I truly feel that if every Lion and Leo understood what we carry on, we would have a 100% retention rate. No one would ever want to leave this association because for 104 years, we have done such incredible work, and it truly is an honor for me, I'm sure everyone who knows about it, to carry on that legacy. Oh, I, I absolutely agree, Ojas. Uh, so this had to be a Herculean task. Uh, you're doing 31 videos for all 31 days in October, being membership month. How extensive was your research to do 31 individuals? Well, see, there's a lot of stuff that goes on beyond uh, what you see in, in the videos. Uh, I actually had a list of, I'd say, about 60 to 90 people who I thought would be appropriate <laughs> to put down as unsung heroes. Uh, I've actually, I have a few of the books written throughout the history of Lions Clubs International. The first the book, I actually have it right here sitting on my, my book stand every single day. I try to get it, uh, read this uh, a lot more, but I don't have uh, necessarily enough time nowadays. It's uh, The World's Biggest Doers, actually recommended to me by uh, Pastor National President Barry Palmer. It's the first comprehensive book written on our history of our association, uh, written by two Lions from uh, the United States with the contributions of Melvin Jones. So this kind of was my start. But now there, now through the internet, there's so many things freely available that you can immerse yourself completely. 
Uh, I think Lion Bruce Eastley from California has put together a wonderful resource talking about uh, the contributions of our first international president, Dr. W.P. Woods. Uh, and he has a lot of supporting documents on there, newspaper articles from back in the day. And he even has a letter from Melvin Jones kind of recounting in a 17-page document the entire history of the founding of our association, which I think is, is great. So uh, to be honest, to be frank, the research has been uh, much more extensive than it needed to be, but I have really enjoyed it. And I do encourage Lions and Leos alike to go out and explore not just the history of our association in general, but also say of your club or your district, because that'll reveal to you a lot more about the unsung heroes than necessarily I won't be able to cover at, uh, in 31 episodes. Absolutely. And, uh, I, uh, I got to see some of those documents about WP Woods and Melvin Jones at the, uh, uh, 100th, uh, Indian Alliance state convention that I was invited to speak at. And that was so cool to see those documents. And I know exactly what you're talking about. I got to see them and read them myself and just great history and and you don't realize how much uh wp woods is an unsung hero so let, let's let's start on him first of all uh wp woods uh first international president um if you ever go to indiana they consider him the founder a little bit uh let's explain uh, wp woods to listeners who really don't know much about him so if you're like me the first introduction you have to wp woods is when you learn about the past international presidents of our association uh, our association over the years has had 104 people who are not currently serving as the international president, all the way from our most recent, the immediate past international president, Dr. Daniel Choi, all the way back and the first one elected in 1917 in Dallas, Texas, about uh, 8th to 10th of October 1917, uh, was W.P. Woods, who was actually the founder of one of the predecessor organizations to Lions. Uh, so this is something that's not, not a lot of people do know. In 1917, when this association was created, it wasn't created organically. There's no first Lions Club that you can point to as being <laughs> like the, the mother club, even though we, we consider the Lions Club of Chicago to be you know, the first club. At the time of the creation of the association on June 7th, 1917, there were actually 35 clubs who came into existence at that time. Uh, and one of the associations present at that June 7th, 1917 meeting, and Melvin Jones and a few of the business people of the association had called together uh, this meeting in Chicago. One of the associations out of several present was the International Association of Lions Clubs, which was chartered in Evansville, Indiana by Dr. W.P. Woods in 1913, uh, excuse me, 1916. Uh, he had been a visionary leader in his part of the country. They had a whole separate organization called the Royal Order of Lions, which is, a, which is a huge rabbit hole, which I don't want to get into today. But I think that Indiana Lions are uh, correct in, in a certain way about saying that W.P. Woods is the founder. And actually, their claims are vindicated by contemporary Lions. At the 1920 convention in Oakland, uh, the International Board commissioned a, uh, a few Lions to come together and put together kind of a uh, contemporary history of the association, how it got started, because they knew that this association was going to grow into something special. They wanted to uh, create a committee on the Lions history. And their conclusion was that it cannot be attributed to one single person, that this association, the creation of Lions Club International, is the sum work of probably tens, hundreds of people that we don't even know about, because the, the records from that era are so sparse and so uh, few and far between, that we don't even know probably who all the founders are of this club. At the time of the creation of the association, there were 600 members. And in a way, we can consider all of them to be the founders. 
But W. P. Woods obviously put in a lot of work. He established a lot of the precedents that we have today. Uh, he actually appears on the first letterhead, and he uh, based the office out of Indiana in the early years. And he truly did have an incredible contribution to our association. And I, I would consider him, alongside Melvin Jones, to be a founder of our association. And I got the great opportunity to visit his gravesite in Evansville uh, when they had the 100th uh, Indiana Lions State Convention. And that was just uh, real somber to see uh, the first international president and one of the first uh, early founders of Lions Clubs International there uh, in Evansville. And just a truly great honor I got to do that as well. So um, I'm glad you got to see those same documents, Ojas, because it's, it's truly a great story. You see the other side of that story of how uh, Lions Club was founded, for sure. Um, the other, another one I found very interesting that you did was uh, Susan Henderson. Uh, let's talk about uh, her, Ojas. Yeah, most definitely. So when I actually first met PDG Suzanne, I had no idea of this whole, this whole like legacy history that she represents in herself. I first met her because my father, PCC Mahesh, uh, when he was attending that time called the Senior Lions Leadership Institute in 2011, I, I forget where it was. PDG Suzanne at that time, just Lion Suzanne, was actually a classmate of his. And so they, they know each other very well from that time. They've been Facebook friends since then. And eventually when I got to Facebook, started connecting more with Lions. Of course, I I was talking to PDG Suzanne. She's a great leader of Lions in Texas, uh, District 2E2. So I thought, you know, she's a great leader, and it's really an honor to meet PDG Suzanne. But then one day uh, I was talking to my father about, you know, uh, the women leaders of our association. Now it's, it's great that this time we're celebrating the 30th anniversary of uh, women joining Lions as full equal members. Uh, he told me, you know, I actually know uh, the first woman to join Lions Clubs International uh, in 1987. I said, no, 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 you don't. You, you don't. You don't know the person. He said, yeah, it's PG Suzanne. And he explained to me all this uh, process that went into bringing women into our association. Many people don't know this, and I did discuss this in the Unsung Heroes uh, series. Women actually were Lions in 1917. Uh, many of the organizations, constituent organizations that came together to form Lions Clubs International had women members, and that was something that was quite radical for the time. Even in the progressive era, when uh, we were rushing to pass the 19th Amendment that would give women the right to vote, it was actually quite strange that a lot of these organizations considered men and women to be equal members, which is something way ahead of their time. But eventually we, we made the, the terrible mistake in either 1918 or 1919 of barring women from joining our association. Eventually we established Lioness Clubs. But eventually in the, in the 1980s, we realized the errors of our ways and our, our uh, international leadership at that time decided that you know, we ought to get women back into our association. Uh, one of our fellow service club organizations that are not Lions, a very large one, they actually were, were sued on the very same grounds and the Supreme Court of the United States ruled that they had to uh, include women. So preemptively, we decided our board of directors uh, in the 1986 to 87 term that at that 1987 convention in Taipei, there needs to be a resolution uh, put forward to amend the constitution to allow women to become members. So eventually they did it, unanimous support of the board uh, was put to vote in Taipei and it was allowed. So now, then I heard the story from uh, PDG Suzanne, her end. She actually came onto our series done by my Leo club called Lead with a Vision. And she was explaining to me about, you know, how did she end up joining uh, the Lions Club? And uh, I had the honor of tell, uh, hearing that story. And I think it'd be my honor to 
retell that story, but I do think that PDG Suzanne uh, tells it best. She told me that uh, she was a county clerk for her, her county in Texas, Tarrant County. And uh, she eventually, she was meeting a few of the, uh, the officials and eventually her county judge came up to her one day and said, PDG, oh, excuse me, not PDG. Suzanne, you don't have to join me for lunch. Uh, we're gonna be going uh, down to, to Fort Worth and we'd like you to join us for the, uh, the Lions Club meeting. And she said, of course, I'd love to, I'd love to join. She knew it was a, a male organization. And of course, Lions were very big at the time. That was the Fort Worth Founder Lions Club, one of the first Lions Clubs to join our association. And their members actually were there in 1918 when women were barred from joining the association. So a, a weird irony to all that. So eventually she went to the meeting uh, and then she was invited back because she is a, a great personality. You all ought to meet PG Suzanne. She's really is a, a great person. They invited her back and eventually that same judge who was an officer for the club said, Suzanne, we want you to be a Lions Club member. And she said, you know, Lions Club is a male organization. How can I be a member? Actually from their, their region, one of the, the directors was uh, Lion Mike M.P. Butler, uh, an international director. And he, he had told the Lions there that, you know, this was going to be happening in Taipei. The convention was in June. This would have been May. Uh, so the club officers decided we should get a woman in even before the convention, even before it's approved so we can have it on the books for next year. So they decided, uh, Suzanne, you'd ought to join our club. Here's the membership application. Fill this out. And we'll make sure that you're approved for, uh, for the next term. And so they eventually did it. And even since then, since then, PDG Suzanne has served as a very active lion, a great friend, a great mentor, a great humanitarian. She's a recipient of a, a presidential medal and right, awfully so. She is an incredible leader, not just in her own district, but across our association. And I really am thankful that I've had the opportunity to meet her because it, it must have taken some incredible bravery to stand in front of a, a room of a hundred men, you being the only woman, and somehow deciding to join this association, which I think is, is courage that is very much appreciated but that courage shouldn't have to be shown by everyone. We need to be inclusive on our association because we'll get leaders like PDG Suzanne who have been a huge ass to our association. Oh, I definitely agree. And I commend the club down there in Texas for being uh, uh, thicken ahead there and saying, we want to be the first club. We want to be one of the first clubs to accept women. And I, I commend that club in Texas for uh, uh, doing that. I think that's great. And, uh, once again, uh, Texas Lions uh, showing uh, very well forward thinking there as as well. Um, the other one that I found very interesting, Ogis, is Carl E. Stotes, mm -hmm. uh, founder of Little League Baseball. Who knew Little League Baseball and Lions had stuff in common, right? Yeah, definitely. So this is actually uh, really funny. When it comes down to it, you won't realize how many people are actually have been lions that we don't, we don't really know about. We have to remember that for a very long time until very recently, it was incredibly important to be a lion. If you wanted to do anything, if you wanted to be a politician, community leader, you needed to be a member of a lions club. We had such an incredible social influence in our association that it was, it was almost mandatory. If you wanted to be something in your community, you had to be a lion. Uh, I'll take it back. This is uh, probably tangentially related uh, but here in college, I've actually joined a professional business fraternity. Uh, so they were giving us the whole fraternity education. And uh, they, they handed me a list of the, the 10 founders of the fraternity. Uh, the fraternity was founded in 1904. And then guess who I saw on that list? Uh, one of the founders, 
was past international president Irving L. Camp, 1927 to 1928 from Pennsylvania. And I thought, yeah, it makes perfect sense in hindsight that a business leader should be a lion and was a lion. But yeah, uh, Carl E. Stoltz, he was a very uh, successful businessman in Pennsylvania. And in order to rally community support at that time, the United States in the 40s, 50s, and 60s, you needed to be aligned. You needed to have those kinds of connections within your community and the adjacent communities and throughout your lines, district, multiple district, and across the country, because we had such a strong network. And that's what I think we need to bring back. We're losing so many people because we don't have the kind of community influence that we used to have. I think that that has been such an asset to our association because we get to claim that lionism has helped us in so many ways that aren't even directly related to our association. Who knows? Maybe it was a lion that inspired Carl Stotts to start Little League Baseball. And I think there's countless things that if we look back and we see, identify who those lions were in the past, I think that that will reveal to, to us a lot about what this association has done over the years. Another one, Ogis, that I found really, really well done was the Benjamin Jones, past national president Benjamin Jones, and how he got preventable blindness into uh, the area of service for lionism. And most definitely, I, I, of course, come from New Jersey, multiple District 16. Benjamin Franklin Jones is the pride of New Jersey. Uh, I'll speak a little bit about him personally. He was a, a judge in Orange County, New Jersey, which is in the northern part of the state. He was very well respected. At the time in the United States, 1890s through 1920s, the state legislatures were a very powerful institution. And Benjamin Franklin Jones, at his height uh, for one term, I believe it was the early 1900s, he was the third highest ranking politician in New Jersey. I think that speaks volumes about his service in the legislature. He was a very distinguished jurist, very distinguished attorney. Uh, but through all that, eventually he became a lion. In 1925, 1926, he was international president, served as first and second vice president before that. And before that, he was the district governor for District 16, New Jersey. He truly was an incredible lion. And I wish that I had a time machine. I could go back and meet some of these people because they are the visionary leaders of our association. At that time, District 16 was, we were nothing. We didn't have that many lions. We didn't have that many service projects. Lionism itself, we really didn't have any core purpose, any core project, any core values, really. It was just an association of business professionals that wanted to make an impact on their community by some means. We had no way, really, of doing that. It was just whatever our local community needed, we should address that. We catered to a very wide variety of causes in that time. At the 1918 convention in St. Louis, uh, one of the first things we did was support the, uh, the war bond program initiated by uh, Woodrow Wilson, all sorts of things we did. But Benjamin Franklin Jones realized that we needed something to unite lines, that even though we were all kind of united in service, fellowship and all that, that if we were all working on one cause, if we pushed one cause to the forefront, then that would help to unite all of our lines in the bonds of friendship and fellowship. And uh, ironically enough, it fell into his lap perfectly. I don't know the whole details behind this. I think they're very obscure. I'm sure that I'm pretty sure no one nowadays knows exactly what happened was. But um, Helen Keller, a very influential blind and deaf advocate who was blind and deaf herself and somehow was able to get literate, able to present so well to large crowds. Uh, she, she was the principal speaker at the 1925 convention in Cedar Point, Ohio. Uh, 
I think, believe she was invited by the current international president at that time, uh, Harry A. Newman from Canada. So then she came and just everyone's surprised. She wasn't just there to praise the Lions for what they were doing, talk about her experience. She had a direct ask for the Lions to be the Knights of the Blind in the crusade against darkness. She asked them to be her Knights of the Blind and help her eradicate preventable blindness worldwide. What she did was uh, probably unprecedented. The Lions probably had no idea, you know, how are we going to tackle this? But Benjamin Franklin Jones, when he became president at the end of that convention, decided, you know, this is actually something, a good opportunity for Lions, that this is something we can rally around. This is some way we can grow. We can take on new service by tackling this uh, issue of vision that's so prevalent across the United States at that time. At that time, we weren't even in South America or Africa or Asia. This was an issue in the United States, but even more so across the world. And that uh, cause of vision allowed us to expand to every part of the globe because vision is its a universal cause. The preventable blindness exists everywhere, but now not everywhere because of lines, because Benjamin Franklin Jones took up that cause. Eventually by the 1990s, we eradicated river blindness in uh, the Americas. I think that speaks back to the, the vision that Benjamin Franklin Jones had for our association. That he wanted Lions to stand for something. I think he made that stand for being the Knights of the Blind alongside Helen Keller. Oh, absolutely there. Uh, oh, just I, I found that story so, so well done by by you and how he took a gamble. You know, he really took a gamble of getting Helen Keller there. And that gamble has really, uh, you know, just prospered so much and that's made lions what they are today you know um another one i found really really well done ogis was uh past district governor gm cunningham of houston texas uh uh if you could share a little bit about him well gm cunningham i think really in uh, in addition to Melvin Jones and W.P. Woods and all these people who held the international positions, G.M. Cunningham truly was uh, the visionary of this association. We had, of course, we had our individualized clubs. We had Lanco, Chicago, St. Louis, Houston, whatever. We had a few disjoint Lions clubs, about 30, 40 at that time. G.M. Cunningham was actually an organizer working with W.P. Woods on the, the previous organization. He had actually expanded W.P. Woods' organization which is primarily based in the north, he actually expanded them into the south in Texas, Oklahoma, Louisiana. Uh, but GM Cunningham was fully dedicated to Lionism. He was visionary in this fact that he wanted to be able to start as many Lions clubs as he could because he, he knew that having a strong base of membership would enable the service that Melvin Jones and all the international leadership wanted. He was, I would say, the original membership guru of our association. He was the original membership consultant. He created that program and was appointed by the board of directors during uh, W.P. Woods' term to be the national organizer for Lions. He organized clubs all throughout the South and Southwest, uh, even in parts like Montana, all across the Western United States, he organized Lions clubs. And I think I spoke about this in the, uh, the episode, but at, at that time, there was no such thing as a, a Lions district. There was just the Lions Club and a Lions Club International. He started so many clubs that it was necessary to start Lions districts. So they eventually had the district of Texas and uh, Louisiana. That was a district in Lions Clubs International. And he was the first district governor for that district. And so much so he was dedicated to Lions Clubs International that he actually 
passed away when trying to start a club in uh, Ogden, Utah. Uh, he met his untimely death in 1925, just as us Lions were taking up the challenge of vision we talked about before. Uh, but he really, he dedicated his life to this association. I think we all have to thank him. Whenever we start a club, I think that we need to remember the contributions of GM Cunningham and also look back to some of his strategies because they are, they probably are very successful. And this membership extension consultant program that he created still going strong today and is still inspiring us to, to grow into to new areas where we're not currently. Oh, absolutely. And uh, I know uh, uh, with his efforts, uh, that's how kind of Lionism in my district in Iowa started. Um, I don't know. I don't think it was him that did it, but he taught people here in the Midwest to get clubs. And in 1920, uh, all of a sudden there were five clubs in Iowa. And by 25, there were uh, almost 20 Lions clubs in Iowa. So the way he uh, set the groundwork for starting clubs, I'm sure if we had his notes or anything like that, I'm sure you would see it very similar to the way uh, clubs are started today, for sure, wouldn't you say, Ojas? I'm sure. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure starting clubs has not changed that much in our hundred-year history. That might be something that's still uh, uh, very, uh, very similar on uh, what happens in our association. Um, Oh, just what's been your favorite episode to do so far? Or or top five, your top five favorite? I think that's a very hard question for me to pinpoint. I do enjoy all of them. I would consider all of these people to be my unsung heroes uh, in equal regard. But I'll say it's the people who people don't know about. Because every, everyone kind of sort of knows about a few of these people. Maybe not the contributions they, they did, but people kind of already know who they are. People like we talked about, Benjamin Franklin Jones, everyone knows he was a past national president. They don't understand the magnitude of what he did, but everyone kind of understands who he is. But there's also people like who I knew about, like who I, doing this research, found out about for the first time. And I was thinking that, like, why don't we know about people like Ian Kerarker, uh, people like Daisy Ellen Nerdlinger, the, the first female lion, uh, people like GM Cunningham, people like Edwin Stotts. People like uh, Theodore Ernst Simming, the, the father of Lionism and CA5, and all these other kinds of people. And actually, I do have a few coming up, which I, I, won't, I won't leak too much, but I, I do have a, a few coming up that people won't know about. But these are the people, I think, that have been the most enjoyable for me to do, because I have certainly had absolutely no idea who these people were. I'm sure most people have no idea who they were. But they were these incredible leaders of our association who we don't give enough credit. The reason we're in the position that we are today, that when we go out and try to recruit members, we can say that you know, we're the world's largest service club organization. We have 1.4 million members. Maybe we did a little bit to help that. We started our club. We recruited a few members of our club. But in the grand scheme of things, we've done absolutely nothing. We haven't created these incredible programs. We haven't expanded our association into new countries. Very few people can claim that, but these people actually can claim it, that these were the ones that actually made this happen, that made this association what it is today. And so those those have been the, my favorite episodes to do. The people who not just don't get enough credit that they deserve, the people that get absolutely no credit. Because I think these are the people that we need to start remembering because you know if they were amongst us, we would be absolutely enamored by them, inspired by them, and they all inspire me to be a better lion. And I'm sure many people watching this podcast and of course watching the uh, the previous series uh, absolutely and 
you know, an unsung hero here in Iowa who doesn't get enough credit, I think, is uh, John Bernanak, past international director. He was the first international director from Iowa uh, all, all the way back in 1920. And him and William West, past international president William Westfall of Mason City, they really got in line as starred in Iowa. Those two guys, uh, unsung heroes in my multiple district because they absolutely went out everywhere and amazingly they just didn't go to the big towns in Iowa they went to small towns like mine in Mount Vernon only 2,000 people at the time in 1924 in my club and started clubs in in towns like that they were kind of willing to take a gamble again and say okay let's go to these smaller towns and start Lions clubs in them and by gosh they were successful uh, they went to all these towns of about one to two thousand people and in the 20s and 30s and all of a sudden, uh, you know, you had all these Lions clubs in, in Iowa and in the Midwest that were just in these small towns. And uh, we, we all have those unsung heroes, uh, Ogis, and uh, I feel like uh, what you're doing with your series is really, really great because um, people should know their stories for sure. Yeah, most definitely. And I think that is an important point. We all have unsung heroes. They're, they might not have been, you know, office holders. They may not have been international president or even a district governor. But we all have unsung heroes. There's people, in, even in our own club, the senior members, they all have stories to tell about what they did for the club. I think that's what's important to highlight. It's not just the 31 people that I'm going to feature this October. It's the thousands upon thousands of lines over the years who truly have made an impact on our association. And the reason that I think it's easy for me at least to point to the people who've grown our association is obviously being Membership Growth Month. I wanted to focus on the people of our association who did a lot for extension. The reason that that's important for me is not just because they were unsung heroes to all us Lions, people who wear the pin, people who are members of our clubs, but they're also unsung heroes for the communities they serve. Because whenever they went out and started a club, even in your town of 2000, they brought much needed service to address the needs in those communities, which is something that is so critical. That's the reason why lionism is important. That's the reason why I'm passionate about this association, and I'm sure many other people are. It's because lions actually do make an impact. It's not just being a member of a club. It's because you're making a tangible difference on the community. And these people, the unsung heroes of our association, are the ones who have enabled us to make that difference in the lives of so many. I totally agree, Ogis. Uh, Ogis, would you say you're kind of the, after doing all this research and everything, would you say you're kind of one of the unofficial historians of Lions Club International now, especially in CA1? I would love to say that, but I, I really do have to chalk it up that I don't know all that much. My research is all secondhand. There are so many great people in our association, so many dedicated Lions who are doing uh, this firsthand research, actually going out and looking in the old newspaper archives, looking on these old Lion magazines, looking in all the places that I don't have access to, to make this information available for me. What I've done uh, over the past eight to 10 months or so is not something uh, revolutionary. It's something that anyone can do because of the resources that have been created by so many people. And I'd just like to shout out two of those people who have really uh, made an impact. I haven't met them personally, but they've made all this information available freely on the internet for all of us Lions. It's uh, PDG Bill Keller, who maintains the Ohio Lions pin trading website. They have so much great information about our association's history. And also uh, Lion Bruce Eastley from California, who uh, I talked about before. 
So I wouldn't say that I'm the, the resident historian. I'm just uh, the secondhand knower of a lot of this information. But there are very dedicated lines across CA1 and across the world who are actually looking at the firsthand documents and finding out new information that uh, for people like me to learn more. And that's, that's great that people laid that groundwork for you and did the real dirty work of going through, I'm sure, the local libraries of some of these places and actually going through uh, the newspapers themselves or going through the digital archives that they had them on. Uh, commend both those guys for doing that because somebody, it's great that somebody did it and that you can share these stories of uh, unsung heroes to everybody. So, Ojus, you got uh, five episodes left. Uh, I, it's, you gave us a little preview. It seems like you're pretty excited about the last five. I am very excited. There's one which I'm very excited for, but I won't, I won't give that one away. You'll, you'll see when that comes. I've actually been able uh, to interview a person who's very close to the unsung hero who I'm going to be uh, featuring. So definitely look out for that one. And I'll say that the 31st episode, the final episode, is going to be a thought-provoking one at that, I'll say. I'll, I'll leave it at that much. All right, Ogis. Well, thank you so much for agreeing to do the podcast. Uh, I've, en I've enjoyed this series so much. Uh, I'm kind of glad that we were able to do this episode recording later since almost all of them are out now. And I have to say I've loved every one. I'm learning a lot. I'm a history buff, and I love learning about anything history lions history is really fun to, to learn about because it's not linear uh there's a lot of players involved in everything and uh i just love learning about those people you just didn't know uh that you've you've brought forward so uh, a job well done by by you sir well thank you so much and if i can say just one final word i'd just like to inspire all of our uh, the people listening in today and also all the lines across the world I think that we all need to be the unsung heroes of our associations. We don't do what we do for the credit, for the awards. We do it because we care about our community. We care about serving our fellow man. And that's what I think we all need to do. We need to be those unsung heroes. We can't just you know, say, great job with these people that have come before us. We need to be the change makers, the actual people. We need to get on the ground and do something like what these people have done. And that's what I want to inspire us to do. That there, are, there shouldn't be all this recognition going around. There does need to be unsung heroes. But I think we all should be inspired to be the heroes of Lions Coast International. Very well said, Ogis. Well, thank you once again for being here on the podcast. Uh, we will include the link to your playlist on YouTube here in the episode description to uh, the Unsung Heroes uh, playlist on YouTube. Highly recommend it. Uh, and they're really short episodes, ladies and gentlemen. They're four to five minutes. Uh you don't have to watch a whole half-hour, hour documentary. Ojus does a great job of simplifying it for you, and it's so well done, so well edited, and thank you so much again, Ojus, for being on the podcast and doing this series. Yeah, definitely, and thank you so much for having me, DG Paul, and thank you for all that you do. Thank you.